Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Hello and welcome to this week's Witch Money Podcast. I'm Lucia Ariano and this episode is the fifth instalment of our new series on the rising cost of living, bringing you expert advice and money saving tips on a different topic each week to help you ease the squeeze. Now with money increasingly tight, today we're focusing on another area reaching record highs. Last weekend, the papers reported that private renting in the UK is up on average 8.6% in the last month alone. And with housing costs taking up the biggest chunk of household incomes for most people and renters giving up a higher proportion than homeowners. Today, this is where we'll be focusing on the rental market. And we've got so much advice on what's happening in the industry and how to save, including how to challenge an increase. And for this, we're joined by our regular Ease the Squeeze expert, which consumer rights editor, Adam French. And we're also welcoming Dan Wilson-Craw, Deputy Director at Generation Rent, a campaign group for private renters. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolute pleasure as always, Lucia. Thanks, Dan, for joining us. Generation Rent are a fantastic campaigning organisation, a wealth of knowledge and experience about the kind of struggles that private renters face. I know I've used their advice myself in the past as well. So fantastic to have you on board. Well, can we start then by talking about the proportion of renters' incomes that go on housing costs each month? Because according to the government's English housing survey, homeowners with a mortgage are paying on average 18% of their take-home pay on mortgage payments, which is a hefty chunk. But it's much higher for renters at 31% for private renters and higher still for social renting. Dan, this immediately puts renters on the back foot, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it's one, one of the biggest uh, problems that we hear from renters is just that rents are so high that they can't afford to put any money aside to to actually put down as a deposit on a, on a home and become a homeowner themselves. themselves. Um, mm. And obviously, um, it, it, it varies quite a lot around the country. So in uh, in London, um, the, the amount of your income you're spending on rent is much higher than that, 31%. Generally, 31% is considered to be sort of what's affordable um or 30% is 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 considered affordable for for housing costs but yeah for 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 many renters uh, particularly people on low incomes and and middle incomes indeed they're paying much more than that that 30%. That's terrible so the the average amount is already basically at that threshold of what's affordable. Uh, yeah exactly so um and and then and, and then if you're 
if you're on low income and in, in, and a lot of people are you know since the pandemic have have uh, lost income um the numbers claiming universal credit are about a third higher than they were before the pandemic that that means that their yeah a lot more of their of their income is going on rent do you know looking back over over the years when i've been renting i'm pretty sure i've been probably giving up about 50% of my take home pay to rent. So I'm sure, you know, it, 31% is is just kind of the, the starting point for some people. Yeah, and uh, and you know, a lot of people will look at their careers, look at you know where they need to be to, you know, focus on the on the careers they want and you know realize that they have to be, you know, let's say uh near central London or in in a in another in another city, which is a you know a booming city, you know we've got Bristol, Brighton. Uh, rents have always been really high there, but um, Manchester um, is we're seeing rents shooting up there because it, because the the economy's um, you know offering a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities there, and, and that's you know that's that if, if that's where the opportunities are, that's where people go, and 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 um, and so competition for housing is so much higher, and and that's and that's why we're seeing yeah people people paying up to you know or more than a fit half of their income on on rent that really blows the idea of just go and live somewhere more affordable completely Mm. out of the water doesn't it because you have to live where where the where the jobs are where career opportunities are where social opportunities are um i've always found that to be uh just really blinkered in its view when people say well live somewhere else that's more affordable for a lot of people that just isn't an option either yeah and then on on the other on the other hand when you've got teachers doctors who are in in london but they can't afford to to uh buy a house um it's very it it can, it can potentially be very easy for them to to go somewhere else and earn earn a decent living get a job very easily but that then because you know because uh house prices and, and rents are so high in those cities then there's there's a there's a, a shortage of, of doctors and, and teachers and nurses um and and, and those you know pu- public sector workers who uh we all rely on um and so it's that's that's another part of the of, of the crisis to the pressure already felt by many households, rents are of course going up. We surveyed just over 2,000 private renters for today's show, which I'm sure we'll keep coming back to. And one of its interesting findings is that 38% of people who had their tenancy agreement renewed in the last six months saw their rent increase on average by 7.2%. So what are some of the things pushing up prices here? Because that seems like a really steep increase, doesn't it? There's a couple of, of really big things driving this increase at the moment. First and foremost is a lack of rental housing stock, effectively. There have been lots of changes over the last few years from government, which make things like buy-to-let a lot less of a tempting option for, for landlords. And then also in response to the pandemic and the sort of drop we saw in rental income there, a lot of landlords offloaded part of their portfolio as well. And that's led to a reduction in housing stock. So there are some Stats out there saying that there were around 71% fewer homes available in the London rental market last December compared to the December before that, which is obviously is a huge, huge decrease. And where there is a sudden lack of supply and the same sort of increasing level of demand, that, that drives up those problems there as well. And then on the demand side of things, we are now seeing more people wanting to return to the cities, return to places for work, 
wanting to get back into the throw of things after two very disrupted years where actually being out of the city and having some space was a much more tempting uh, living option. But we're now we're seeing people go back to the city as well. Those two things combined are driving up rental prices and they're already pretty sodding high anyway, which is why it's such a difficult situation for a lot of tenants at the moment, especially if you're coming to the end of your sort of initial 12 month contract, whatever it is, and looking at those potential increases now. I would I would say I would I would agree that um it's it's a big a big part of it is is offices opening up back up, universities opening back up and people needing to be back in, in those physical places and um and and in in the space of well, six months, um you've seen a huge uh increase in people moving to cities and that's and that's been um creating competition for housing uh and and, and it means the landlords can can name their price essentially. I think it's worth saying, although that uh, a lot of landlords, you know, saw saw a, a fall in demand and, and maybe decided to sell at that point. Um, a lot of those a lot of those houses did go to first time buyers, so that is taking some demand out of the um, out of the market. And um, so it's 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 really from our perspective, it's really the um, the return to to cities um, after a big, you know, uh, race for space. It was called um, where uh, where people, you know, p- people sort out gardens, large properties uh, outside of city centres. Rents then fell, so we are seeing a sort of um, uh, a, a, a kind of whiplash effect of of rents returning to uh, to to previous highs. Um, I mean, we've we've looked at our own. Uh, we've looked at Zoopla data, um, and even now in London, rents are uh, only just getting back to what where they were before the before the pandemic. Let's hear a little more on the point you make about the number of rental properties dwindling. For more on this, here's Anisha Beveridge, head of research at Hamptons Estate Agents, with why there are fewer rentals on the market. Well, this has been happening for quite some time um, and pretty much since around 2016, 2017, the government have clamped down a little bit on buy to let landlords. We've seen changes to way that, that changes to the way that they've been taxed. It's more expensive to buy a buy to let property and you're also landlords aren't able to offset as much against their tax bill. So generally buy to let isn't quite as profitable as it has been. And because of that, we've seen quite a few landlords sell up and leave the sector. And we think probably nearly 263,000 properties, uh, there are 263,000 fewer rental homes in England alone since the sector's peak in 2017. So it's quite a shift. Um, And then also when you kind of combine that with the fact that I think a lot of people haven't moved because costs are rising quite quickly, there are probably around 50% fewer rental homes available to rent at the moment than there were a couple of years ago. And that's one of the driving forces behind behind rents at the moment. It's an interesting point Anisha makes about buy-to-lets being less profitable for landlords. And if we go back to the figures Anisha gives, it's resulted in a massive drop in the number of rental homes available, 260,000 less in England compared to 2017. So if your rent is rising and you're looking to move, you could be really up against supply issues. And this was actually reflected in our survey too, as 74% who tried to move to another rental property actually weren't able to. It can be really difficult. And actually, it's not even solely what's available in your area. It's the quality of what's available in your area as well. I remember uh, looking many years ago, looking to get a flat in, in Walthamstow when we were renting there. And 
the quality was so variable as well. And it's easy to see how when you've got that less choice, when there are fewer properties on the market, then suddenly that real concern around actually mm. the quality of where you're going to live can be a challenge as well. So when you go to move, that choice isn't there. It's hard. It's harder to switch. It's harder to act like a consumer in a functioning market where there are viable, good alternatives to help keep prices low. So that's the other challenge to that as well, I see. If you're relying on universal credit or housing benefit to pay your rent, um, it's suddenly become become a lot a lot harder. Landlords have always been uh, quite sniffy about taking uh, on tenants who are claiming benefit, but now they've just been given even more excuses to 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 shut shut you out of the market, and and that's a real problem. That's that's coming up. I mean, mm. nearly half of uh, private renters are reliant on benefits, um, and and that's and, and that's the key, you know that's that's going to be. <clears throat> It's, it's it's been having a huge effect since since probably um uh, at least a year ago uh, and um and and, and yeah we we're, we're seeing uh a real challenge and i think even even when the market adjusts to this sort of post pandemic uh surge in, in in demand you'll we'll still see uh, real challenges for people who are relying on benefits are landlords allowed to discriminate on the basis of urine receipt of benefits? That's a very good question. Um, they are, um, according to some court cases that uh, Shelter pursues and won, landlords can't impose a blanket ban on people on benefits, uh, which will, uh, because they, they're discriminating against people in, with disabilities, women, um, and so on. But um, what, what they've seem to start have started doing is using affordability tests as a as another way of uh of stopping basically yeah putting up barriers to people who are who are relying on 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 benefits so you know if if you're and, and especially um mm. if your landlord doesn't class uh uh universal credit as a legitimate income then then that can be a huge problem i think that there's a, still a long way to go before we can get any uh, real um, protection for, 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 for tenants in that situation, um, and then we're also hearing from uh, from tenants who who are getting universal credit, and they've been asked, um, mm. they've been said, oh, we'll they've been told we'll let to you, but you need to pay six months rent up front. And obviously, if you're on benefits, you're unlikely to have that in the first place. Another approach that landlords are taking is asking for a guarantor. Uh, so someone else who has a secure income or a, and or a house that they own to guarantee your rent, um, but clearly not not everyone has that. Uh, not everyone has those you know family connections that, that might be able to support that. So there is a you know is a huge problem and and simply banning landlords from refusing to let to people who are on benefits. It's it's not it's not the it's not the full story and. and there needs to be much more, uh, much more effort to, to stop that happening. I mean, having having a, a, a functioning uh, welfare system would would help, of course. Well, Dan, while we're on this, then, do, do you have any advice for people in this situation who, who are experiencing kind of very frosty terms and difficulty with affordability? Your council does have powers, as of a few years ago, to help you in in more circumstances uh, if you're if you're if there's a real prospect of you facing homelessness. So it's always worth contacting your council uh, in case there is anything that they can do to help you find a, find a place to live. Mm-hmm. It's worth checking if you're entitled to more benefits than you, than you currently are uh, getting. Um, but 
Um, but again, as I said, you know, it can be it can it can be quite difficult to to convince a landlord to to let to you. Okay, so let's now hear a little more on how the rental market and price hikes are impacting you. I'm sure listeners will know the drill now that as part of our Ease the Squeeze series, we want to know how the current cost of living crisis is affecting your lives. And this week, we've been speaking to Hannah about her renting situation. I live with my partner in North London and have been living together for about a year. We moved in together in April or March last year just as I think the rental market was doing quite badly because of Covid so we managed to find a really good deal on a two-bedroom flat and did get quite a lot of money knocked off the listing price. Um, Our tenancy is renewing in the coming March so our We actually go through an agent. We don't talk to the landlord directly, but they got in touch to ask if we'd be interested in renewing the contract. We went straight back to them and said that we'd be interested in staying. And then as soon as we told them that we were interested, they fired back with, oh, the landlord would like to raise the rent by 200 pounds a month. They waited until we'd agreed. They were like, I'm sure you'll agree this is really reasonable. We'd like to raise the rent to be more in line with other places in your area. So we did a little bit of research just to see if they're telling the truth. And they are right that the area we're living in is quite expensive and there are other properties nearby that are going for a lot more. But from looking at the listings, they're also in a lot better condition and are a bit more modern than ours as well. So we just kind of, we went straight back to them and said that we're really concerned about the rising cost of living. And we're also sort of going through the process of all of our energy bills going up as well. Um, So we really just couldn't afford that much money. So we just went back to them and said, this is the absolute maximum we can pay. And in hindsight, that wasn't the best way of doing things um, because they immediately came back and said, great, we'll accept that higher amount. Rent across the city is rising. So to find something for the same price that we're on now in a nice area is really difficult. So we kind of decided, you know, we'd rather stay and pay a little bit more and just kind of scrimp in other areas. Huge thanks to Hannah for sharing her story. We should firstly say kudos to Hannah for doing her research and getting the proposed increase down. It's obviously great that she managed to knock a bit off the original £200 increase, but she does question whether she should have done anything differently. So can we start here then? Before we get on to tips, what's the background here? Where do you stand if your landlord wants to increase the amount you're paying? The first thing to to, to realise is that um, you don't have to agree to a, a rent increase. Um if if you agree to it um Mm. that normally means you're renewing a tenancy or or you or you start paying it without um uh with 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 no further questions asked um so you should always think about um whether to try negotiating um the other thing a a landlord can do if they can't get you to agree sort of informally or, or by signing something is uh, to serve what's called a Section 13 notice, which is a, a notice to, to raise your rent. And you normally get a period of time to to um, b- before you need to start paying that. 
Um, but what that does is um, gives allows you to then, uh, if you if you disagree with it, to challenge it at uh, a first tier tribunal um, in the uh, property chamber uh, or property tribunal, uh, and 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 then some uh, they'll normally come out to visit your property, determine what what it's what it's worth in terms of the rental market, and then um, uh, and. And, and then decide what what a what a reasonable rent is, and then that's that's legally binding on the landlord. The trouble is, the landlord, if the landlord just disagrees with um, anyone else's uh, opinion about what the rent should be, uh, the landlord can serve a uh, a no fault eviction, the section twenty one, um, which basically puts you as the tenant in a in a worse negotiating position than 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 you might otherwise be. But that said. If the alternative is either paying a higher rent or, or needing to, to move somewhere else, it is often, you know, the case that you've got nothing to lose by trying to negotiate. It's not an easy situation for tenants to be in. Um, and so it's probably not too surprising that in our survey, only 11% tried to negotiate their rent when they last renewed their tenancy agreement. But on top of this, over half were unsuccessful. So, so Dan and Adam, what are your top tips when it comes to negotiating your rent? It can be it can be really tricky, and it, you are often on on the back foot um, as a tenant, unfortunately. But there are some mm. sensible steps you can take to try and keep things as civil as possible with your landlord. Um, and I think the first thing you can do is have a look at what else is being listed in your local area. How much is the rent going for similar properties? If you're in a one bed flat, what are other one bed flats going for of a similar quality? as well that often gives you a good basis there to to negotiate with your landlord and let's not forget them listing the property trying to find someone else that's expense with they're using a letting agent that could be a month or two without any income from the property they'll undoubtedly be losing out so sometimes just pointing out some of these things and if you've been a good tenant who's looked after the flat and had no fuss from them then i think all of that can help you negotiate some of that increase down or even keep the rent flat so i think being polite and civil at the start point can really make um, a big difference. And then there are some other, I suppose, more heavy hitting stuff you can do around things like actually the energy efficiency of your home, for example, and actually pushing on changes to be made there. We all know energy bills, for example, are a huge concern at the moment. So there are actually rules in place to mean that your, your property, if you're renting it out, has to reach a minimum standard when it comes to how energy efficient it is. It has to be E or above on the EPC scale, um, which you should be familiar with. It's on most white white goods you can buy now when your home has one of those as well. Shows how energy efficient it is. And if it's not up to that standard, your landlord has to invest in it. So actually checking out some of those details as well can really help make the case for actually if property is not even good enough right now, you need to invest in it or you can drop our rent a bit. Um, so there's plenty of, of things you can do to try and, uh, change things but i'd say start out polite civil and just say we've been really good tenants we've caused you no fuss you know let's let's have a conversation about this um yeah on on energy i would add that i mean at the very at the present time with energy bills shooting up um and you know uh, no no end in sight essentially for for this cost of living crisis um as a tenant you can you can potentially argue this to your landlord that you know all over the country or you know if 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 you move out the the next tenant is going to be facing the same uh, pressures on their cost of living and may well be unwilling to 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 pay what what rent the the landlord's asking for so that that can be at the moment uh, a 
one one way of thinking about how to how to negotiate with your landlord. The other thing is um, it's worth working out whether you're negotiating with your landlord or your letting agent. Um, very often, the letting agent um, has more of a uh, 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 an incentive to to raise the rent. They get a higher commission. Um, if you move out, they'll get the uh, the landlord to pay the costs of marketing the property and so on. So um, if you can get hold of your landlord, um, then they might op- often be more reasonable than the letting agent. That's certainly been uh, the case in my experience. Now, we heard that Hannah has agreed to say where she is for the time being. But what about if you do need to move? What are the best places to look, especially when it comes to getting good value for money? Are there secrets here about how to find a good deal? I wish there were secrets. Um, <laughs> I was hoping there I, would it, be. I know. I, I wish. I wish I had better news than just get online and look at what is available in your local area. Um, is is the absolute, but whichever area you want to move to, is the best way to start. So actually, you have the big websites. You, your right moves, your Zooplas, where most property agents will pay to list uh, properties on there. But actually, as well, it's worth looking at who those local agents in the area are because sometimes they'll list properties on their site first before they pay to list it, for example, on, on Rightmove or Zoopla. Um, so often you can get in there a bit earlier um, on a property before it sort of reaches a, a wider audience as well. Um, and often if the landlord's in a rush to get someone in, they're more open to negotiation, for example, at that point as well, because it's more in their interest to get someone in rather than risk it being sat empty as well, uh, which is why often these things will happen at, at such a pace. So it is worth looking at, Really taking a look at what's happening in the local market, the local agents, often there you can find things a bit quicker. Sign up for alerts. Sign up for alerts with the local letting agents as well are all going to be ways you can try and navigate that private rental market uh, a lot easier. Preparation is a a really good uh, thing to do. And and part of that is working out sort of what what your must-haves in in a property, like in terms of location, you know what what amenities and facilities it has and then also what what you're prepared to compromise on and and being clear about that when you go into a viewing um might make the difference between agreeing to rent something on the spot and then uh, which which often you're under pressure to do or just or just saying no this isn't for us and, and walking away and that includes obviously whether you're happy to compromise a little on location because the amount you pay for rent will vary wildly depending on the area you're looking in so there's a lot to be said about looking a little further afield here's our producer charlotte doing just that starting with canary wharf and getting a little help from spareroom.com's matt hutchinson on finding a cheaper option so i'm in canary wharf right now i pass through here all the time on my way to and from work If you come here at all, you'll just know that there's glossy, shiny skyscrapers everywhere. They're constantly building new ones, as you can hear right now. Whenever I pass through, I just wonder, how much does it actually cost to rent one of these luxury flats? And given that this is one of the most popular areas to rent in London, can you rent here more affordably? And actually, are there places kind of nearby that are more off the beaten track that still have good access to Canary Wharf, but are actually on the cheaper side? That's what I want to find out. So I'm Matt Hutchinson and I'm director at Spare Room. And so every quarter you guys produce the Spare Room Rental Index, which analyzes hundreds of thousands of 
room rents and works out where you're going to get on average the highest rent. Based on that, I just wondered if you could give us a kind of snapshot of how expensive renting is at the moment and how much it's gone up by basically recently. Yeah, and it's been a very interesting couple of years because rents are hit quite hard over the course of the pandemic, particularly in London. The rest of the UK fared reasonably okay in terms of stability. Um, London rents came down quite a lot, and so we're seeing the flip side of that now. Um, and London rents are really surging ahead. And I think largely it's because London as a city saw a lot of people leave and a lot of its economy sort of shut down Um and, and people just weren't filling the rooms. And so landlords had to drop their rents to compensate for that. And so now you say that it's um, it's surging quite significantly. I mean, yeah, could you provide some some data on exactly kind of where those increases are happening most? Yeah, so I mean, London um, rents just over the course of February compared to last year, uh, rents in London rose by 13%. Um, and that's the highest sort of rise across the UK. Yeah. The UK, the UK as a whole, rents went up by 4% compared to last year and yeah what about the rest of the UK where where did you apart from London where did you see mainly rents going up and and did you see places getting cheaper in any areas no nothing's gone down this time I think because what what we're doing now comparing rents now to this time last year is last year was the point they were hit hardest Um, and now we're seeing a surge in demand from tenants without there being a surge in supply to keep up for it so rents are creeping up everywhere Um, but London um, Scotland uh, West Midlands, places like that, um, are tending to lead the way. What we tend to find with London is that uh, the cheapest areas tend to remain more stable when things are difficult, and it's the expensive areas that go down most. Um, but we're seeing rents rise across London by double digits, kind of in all the, the postcode areas. So, you know, north, south, east, south, west, they're all going up. Um, and the biggest changes we're seeing really now are West London, East London, um, you know, some of the cheaper areas have fared slightly better. Um, and it's often the way because South East London and East London and North London tend to be cheaper, um, particularly South East because it's least served by the tube network. Uh, so that tends to be where people go when things get expensive. And are you, are you seeing that at all? Are you seeing kind of those areas also become more popular or is it a bit too early to say? I mean, the average rent um, across London at the moment is £796 a month for a room. And there are only two postcodes where it's below 600 and they're Abbeywood and Deptford. So South East London has the only two postcodes left that have average rents under £600 a month. When I first moved to London, I just relied so much on people who were local because you just have no idea where to start. It's quite an overwhelming process. Um, and it, I mean, it, this is the thing, it didn't even occur to me to just Google what are some of the cheapest areas. So I kind of wondered what would be some of your tips for somebody starting out if, if you were about to move to London like right now, what would be your suggestions for how to how to approach that to try and get the best deal that you can? I'd say keep an open mind um, about the kind of areas you're looking at. It can be a bit overwhelming because there's so many places to live in London. And if you don't know the city very well, it can it can be a huge task just to work out where you might want to look. But generally, um, South East London and North London postcodes tend to be cheaper than anywhere else. And they're a good place to start. Um, but somewhere that always comes up as a pretty good bet for all sorts of reasons is Walthamstow because uh, it's not the most expensive place and yet there's a lot going on there and because of the Victoria line it's really quick into town um, and it, it's not sort of Clapham or some of the, the really sort of expensive postcodes but it's got a lot going for it you know um, but yeah I'd say look southeast and look north first. 
Oh yeah, let's take a look at Walthamstow. I, I feel like that would be a nice place to live, you know. About 100 places have come up. A beautiful double room for 670 per month. Yeah, that's, that's sort of not bad. Let's see though what happens if I say... Let's like see how many results we actually get if I say under £600 per month. It is hard to say that like how many listings would there have been last year, you know. Like I imagine that this time last year you'd get way more, way more rooms coming up. This has shown me, I do feel like this has made me think, oh, you know, it's actually, it's worth kind of looking a little bit out of your comfort zone and asking around to just check because, yeah, these numbers look pretty good. Can we just spend a minute on the figure Matt gives for the average cost of a room in London? £796 for a room. It's just wild, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's it's really, um, it, it blows your mind just sort of what, what people are, are willing to, to pay. Mm. I mean, that's ultimately what, what it is. And, um, and you've got a lot of people who are, you know, a lot of people who are earning pretty good salaries, a lot of people who are not earning pretty good salaries. And, um, and there's so much just competition for for homes. And because we haven't been building enough of them, you know, that's just that's just put pressure on on, on prices. And, uh, and 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 so, yeah, if, if, if someone's willing to pay it, then that's it. That's, it's gone. And, and, uh, and you're sort of having to move on to the next one. Uh, it's, it's a real it's a real struggle to find something that that is that is literally you know, mm. literally affordable mm. it's a it's a huge sum of money for a room uh, it's um it was the, certainly the bait of my 20s was paying that kind of money to to have a room in a house um yeah. was you know potentially with strangers as well yeah often often with a very mixed bag a rogues gallery of strangers it has to be said <laughs> over the years um that it was really difficult i won't lie and it's certainly something that um I don't miss, um, mm. but it's a really tough situation. I remember moving to London for the first time in my very early twenties, and everyone kept saying how expensive it was there and being a bit green to these things. I didn't really know, and I remember looking at some prices and thinking, "Oh, it isn't that bad." I mean, it's a stretch, but I can probably afford that. And then I realised that was per week, not per month. The listings I was looking at, <laughs> and just sort of, you know, having a bit of a panic about it. All. How how am I going to afford this? And mm. and that was a few more years ago than I like to think about now. So that's that's the challenge there and and the amount of money you're being asked is 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 eye-watering and there's a there's a huge huge problem there and it kind of you end up stuck in this weird life of of living out of rooms across different places and it sort of can feel quite quite restrained and constrictive and I completely empathize with the challenges there people face. And another thing we should really touch on here is the standard of living of some of these properties. Now, as someone also who's rented uh, for many years in London, I've experienced my fair share of things that needed to be fixed. And, and sometimes they were, and sometimes they weren't. But on, on kind of the next level, I, I also lived in converted warehouses uh, for a bit. And some of them were really questionable. I mean, they're sold as kind of being cool, creative places to live but you might have a bedroom without a window, say. And I'm pretty sure some of these were shut down actually when I left. But this must just be the very tip of the iceberg, right? There, there are there are problems that are associated with with prior rented homes, which are which are bad, which are unacceptable, um, and shouldn't be tolerated. I mean, I'm thinking of things like mold, uh, 
faulty boilers that um that you have mm-hmm. to you know fix with a rubber band to to make them work uh you know the odd ma- mouse running across your living room um uh, you know that that's all that that's all stuff that that your landlord should not be uh, allowing in, in your property there's dangerous electrics uh the the someone you know clearly not a qualified electrician has has, has put in uh, my worst experience was a was mm. a boiler a, an ancient boiler that uh, set off the carbon monoxide alarm um and in 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 the depths of winter so so we had to get that replaced you know ripped out well, thank god you had an alarm yeah i know but yeah i mean we, and, and we're seeing and, and with you know the uh properties with uh no windows i mean we we, we are seeing more landlords who are you know looking at a property and realizing that they can get you know 796 pounds per room uh per month and and uh and and carving it up into you know as 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 many bedrooms as they possibly can and um and and there is you know that is a real cause for concern particularly where it's going to affect people's health and you know you know mental health as well as physical health it's really interesting hearing the list that Dan gave of things that landlords should be fixing because for me that made me think oh actually gosh I had a mouse pretty much living in my bedroom for a couple of years when I was a student and I and I just didn't think anything of it you just kind of accept that you're renting and conditions do sadly tend to be quite poor which brings me then to where is the line drawn when does your landlord have to step up and sort it out and and what can you do if they're just not playing ball ultimately it's it's whether it's harmful to your health um if uh if it's harmful to your health and that's physical or mental health um your council should be stepping in and serving and ideally serving the landlord with uh, what's called an improvement notice um so you know that that can be um that can be anything it might not be immediately obvious that it's harmful to your health so for example not being able to store or prepare prepare food safely um because your kitchen's in 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 very poor repair you know that's that that could that could count um the if you contact your council's environmental health department um they will they should send out someone to inspect your property um sometimes they'll try and agree informal uh uh, remedies with with the landlord um but unfortunately that exposes you to an, a revenge eviction if your if your landlord is um that way inclined and you know doesn't want to um make a, make repairs and and would rather get rid of a troublesome tenant than uh, than than actually um improve the quality of their of their product um so uh so if you know if if you're in that situation you should uh when, when you talk to your council you should you know make them aware if you're worried about um the threat of eviction um one other thing so the improvement notice will protect you from from a section 21 and no fault eviction for for six months but it would also give you a chance to claim back rent if your landlord continues to leave the problem unfixed which which could which can be quite quite useful not very it's it's it came in a few years ago not very well understood uh, and, and i think one, one of the big problems is that councils uh you know, very often will just try and resolve things informally rather than serving these formal improvement notices. Um, one other thing I would say is that you can take your landlord to court directly, um, but uh, uh, you should get legal advice on that. 
Well, another major issue for, for many renters, which we've already touched on, is having to find money for bills on top of your rent. And we, we heard Hannah mention it earlier too. And it's really not surprising given the huge cuts of income rent can take up. But could changes be on the way to help reduce some bills for renters? Here's Anisha Beveridge again from Hamptons on this. Well, the government brought in some new legislation a couple of years ago, um, and they're actually proposing that any sort of privately rental property in uh, that's let in England and Wales will need to have an EPC um, of C or above, um, which is a good thing for tenants, to be perfectly honest, because it means that they'll be living in a more energy efficient home and that will reduce their, their monthly bills and outgoings, which is which is a really good thing. And I think we're increasingly seeing more tenants look for that sort of style property, particularly when energy prices are due to rise so much and are already rising this year. Um, more and more tenants are looking for energy efficient homes. But since the pandemic began, we have seen this bit of a shift outside of cities. So people are wanting larger homes. We've seen stronger rental growth on particularly three and four bedroom properties, whereas typically it's one and two bedroom flats in city centres that have seen a little bit less demand. But I think perhaps towards summer and later this year, we might see that start to balance out again. Adam, firstly, can you remind us what an EPC is and how much difference could a more energy efficient home make to your bills? An EPC is an energy performance certificate and they come in an A to G rating. We should all be increasingly familiar with them now because it's a lot of products you buy, particularly things like white goods, you'll see these stickers on them, but also your home has this rating as well, whether you own it or you're renting, and it shows how energy efficient it is. So A is the best. In fact, there's now like A, triple plus, and increasingly positive grades there, and then G is is the worst. Now, the rules at the moment are that landlords shouldn't be letting out anything with an F or G rating. They need to invest in improving it. And actually, there is some talk about the fact that those ratings may continue to go up as we try and hit our net zero targets as a country as well. I do think it'd be helpful if government set out a timetable for that so landlords could know when they need to make those improvements by. Um, and we all could all work towards that. But if that's that's the general idea here is this improving the energy efficiency of homes. Um, you could also turn to your landlord. They should be investing something around a region of three and a half thousand pounds into making sure your home is energy efficient as well. If it isn't matching up with this EPC rating as well, so there's there's plenty to be done there to improve that and hopefully make your home more efficient. And we all know that more efficient homes can save you hundreds of pounds a year on your bills. Insulation can make a massive, massive difference over the winter, for example. That could save as much as £300 on a on your household bills if your home isn't insulated properly. So there are massive savings to be made that not only benefit you, but benefit the landlord as well in the long run, because people will be looking for that kind of thing when it comes to shopping around on the rental market in the future, especially with the way that energy bills are at the moment. How can you find out what uh, the EPC of your building or your flat is? Because that could be quite a good negotiating tool as well, couldn't it, if, if your rent is being uh, increased? There is a search um, available on the Gov UK website. Um, so head to that or just Google basically EPC rating of my home. And that should give you as one of the top results there. And that will show you everything you need to know. And Dan, on your website, generationrent.org, you report that one in eight renters are in debt to their landlords, which is a staggering figure, but sadly not surprising given the soaring cost of living, as well as the financial disruption hanging over from the pandemic. So can we cover some of your advice if you are struggling to pay your rent and falling into arrears, including where you can turn to for support? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so um, if you're if you if you are struggling and you're um, currently not claiming universal credit um, or, or housing benefit, um, it is worth checking if you're eligible because um, in the autumn the government made some changes to universal credit, which which expanded eligibility. So um, so, so it's worth checking if, if you now fall fall within that because um, that could be a that could be a help uh, potentially not a huge one, but but um, it's worth worth checking. Um, and then also if you are claiming benefits, you can um, look into um, additional support such as the warm home discount, which uh, which helps with with energy bills. Um, unfortunately, not enough given given how how far they're increasing at the moment. Your council does have a number of things that they can they can help with. If your rent is too high, um, then um, and it, and, it, and you could be facing rent arrears and um, and an eviction as a result. You can get support either to um, through a discretionary housing payment um, or a new new pot of money that the government. Um, made available after our campaigning which could help pay pay some of those arrears off or they could help you find a new more affordable home and finally then can we end with some some final nuggets of advice for renters your gold standard of say rights you need to know about or advice you can fall back on to ensure you're getting a good deal one thing that i that so many people don't realize um, is that you do not need to renew your your tenancy at the end of the fixed term Um, so if the tenancy ends uh, you can stay stay put um, for as long as you like, the landlord can only ask you to leave by serving an eviction notice. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of people feel very under pressure to, to renew renew their contract. But then if you know if there's no if there's no threat of eviction or, or, or a notice falling through your uh, letterbox, you can uh, you know you, you don't have to leave. Um, it is it can be very stressful. Uh, but but still, it's, it's worth it's worth being aware of that. I never knew that in all my years of renting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Um, it's is possibly the biggest you know uh biggest myth out there and mm. you know obviously letting agents and landlords don't like to tell you that you, that that right exists but but uh but there you go if your landlord doesn't give you your deposit after you move out uh and maybe tries to negotiate with you about deducting um uh, something uh, you can go straight to your deposit protection scheme and to, to to raise a dispute and that can often be the best way of getting your getting your money back um, and then also the, th- the third thing is uh, if your landlord wants to visit your property, they must have your permission and give you 24 hours notice um, because a lot of landlords abuse, mm. abuse that. They, you know, they, they, they don't give you that permission and, and that can be yeah. uh, classed as harassment, uh, which, which, is a, which is a serious offence from, from the landlord's point of view. That was absolute solid gold. Thank you, Dan. I, this is a tough, a tough act to follow. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll talk more to the... <laughs> how you can sort of find a good property in the first place. And I think it is the key thing for me is, is really getting familiar with the local area, signing up for alerts with local agents uh, and getting to know an area you want to move to um, can make a big, big difference to you finding the right property to live in the good quality you're after and the price you're willing to pay. You're going to have to understand the area to understand how you can negotiate, how much property is worth and stuff. So actually investing a bit of time there can make really big savings and ultimately the big thing here is where you go home to every night makes a huge, huge difference to how you feel about your day, how relaxed you feel, to your mental health as well. So it is worth investing that time, not just from a financial perspective, but from a well-being perspective as well, um, to familiarise yourself. So I'd say everything Dan said is absolutely solid gold for like making sure that you're not being taken advantage of. But when it comes to finding a new place to live, that would be my my big tip to take away. 
Thank you so much to Dan and Adam for coming on the show today. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you haven't already, please do hit follow and subscribe and leave us a review and rating wherever you're listening. And for more money saving news and advice, head to witch.co.uk forward slash save money to find our rising cost of living hub. This episode of the Witch Money Podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Charlotte Gifford.